welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Down the hall, but for the ghosts. But for the ghosts. How you doing today, Adam? I'm doing. I'm doing well. Happy day before the election. Happy day before the election. Scariest day of the year. It's uh, yep, 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 yep. yep. But we would be remiss if if we didn't say tomorrow's election day. Tomorrow's election day. So go out and uh, do the voting thing. Yeah, that's your uh, weekly PSA from the New York Mystery Machine. <laughs> Every week is something new. Um, last week was. Buy our sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> this week is is uh, is to go vote. Um, uh, but speaking of sandwiches, mm. you know, we did have an amazing sandwich last last week, mm-hmm. um, and that was the sandwich of the month. Um, something that you can get if you join our Patreon. Yeah. Um, for as little for as the low low price. At it's not the look. It's our <laughs> supreme price, right? It's a top tier price, but you get a sandwich, get a sandwich each month that I curate and send to you. And it was really fucking um, good. But for other stuff, um, for as little as three dollars a month, you can join our community. For as little as five dollars a month, you get access to uh, an exclusive episode each month that the other people who listen to the show don't get to listen to. So to do that, you head on over to patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and you can join that community today. Um, uh, if, you'll, if you want to support the podcast in any other way, another good way of supporting the show is to drop us a review mm-hmm. on Apple Podcasts or an Audible uh, and a five-star rating to go with it. And you can also drop us a five-star rating on Spotify yeah. if you listen to us there. Um, we Those reviews and those ratings really go, they, they make a difference. Yeah. Um, and... Um, so much that like you know we got an email last week and we were ranked number 26 in greece thanks greece greece uh, of all the true crime podcasts of the true crime podcasts in greece we're number 26 which is a crazy thing that's pretty awesome um that people in greece are listening to the show and that we are in the top like 50 yeah thanks Greece. Um, that's amazing so you know that's that's pretty fun so uh uh, help us out by uh, by 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 liking, subscribing. Our social medias are really important too. At at NY Mystery Machine on uh, Instagram and Facebook at NY Mysteries on the Twitter. So um, yeah, that's our PSA about you know about, liking all our things. Yeah. Any other PSAs? I think that's it. Okay. We got voting. We got things that help us. We got, <laughs> we got sandwiches. I got nothing else. All right. Where are we today? <laughs> we are up in uh, Austerlitz, New York, which I never heard I've of. I've never heard of Austerlitz, New York. Right? So, so Austerlitz, German. Austerlitz. Come yeah. on to Austerlitz. Yeah, sehr gut. Sehr gut, yeah, Austerlitz. Austerlitz is our ranking in Germany just dropped way down. Um, <laughs> Austerlitz is about 2.5 hours by car outside of Manhattan. Um it's a town in Columbia County, and it uh, was organized as a town in 1818 from parts of other local towns. So um, the towns of Chatham, Canaan, and Hillsdale all lost parts of themselves to form Austerlitz. Oh. It was named for the Battle of Austerlitz, which is one of the most important uh, battles of the Napoleonic Wars, because apparently, fun the fact, Martin Van Buren, the state senator at the time and future president of the United States, was a big old Napoleon fan. And apparently one of his political rivals got uh, a, the town upstate of Waterloo named Waterloo. And so they were going to name this town something else. And he was like, no, I love Napoleon more. And got it named Austerlitz. Um, I love a poem more. <laughs> uh, so here's how the author of Hidden History of Columbia County describes Austerlitz's history. As the story goes, Austerlitz, New York, started as an unruly area with rugged hillsides. Why are we British? I'm not really sure. Continue. It just went, just happened. Unruly area with rugged hillsides and tangled forests covering six square miles. It was first settled by Europeans in 1750 by squatters from Connecticut. In, 
Yes. It was first settled by Europeans in 1750, by squatters from Connecticut in the east and land grants from the state of Massachusetts. For the most part, Austerlitz is still as untouched and natural as it was when it was merely rural dirt roads that wound around sloping hills, with still only about 1,600 people currently making up the town and little commercial development ever really getting a foothold. Um, so... Another fun fact, notably, um, Edna St. Vincent Millay, the poet, lived in a property or on a property that is part of Austerlitz today. Oh. But we're not dealing with Edna today. No, no, we're going all the way back to 1882. Oh, another 1882. Another 1882. Uh, and uh, we're dealing with a much more sinister resident. Oh. We're dealing with Oscar F. Beckwith. <gasps> Oh, no. it'll, it'll become clear why he's sinister. <clears throat> no, no. Oscar Fitzalan Beckwith, another very German sounding moment here. Um, Fitzalan Beckwith uh, was born around 1809, making him about 72 years old in 1882 um, at the time his dire deeds will come to light. So per his information in the 1880 federal census, Beckwith was born in New York to a Connecticut born father named Joshua Beckwith and a New York born mother named Eunice Parkhurst. Oscar himself was married two times, once to a Mary Ann Beeb or Beebe, I'm not really sure, uh, and another time to a Lucinda Carnot. And uh, through these marriages, he had a few children. Oscar was a farmer, like I said, but according to reports, he had also been engaged unofficially throughout his life in counterfeiting and theft. So this got him in trouble with the law, go figure, uh, but somehow he managed to escape. So at least one report has it that he, quote, fashioned a key from a pewter spoon, escaped from jail, and headed for the Austerlitz woods. Okay. He uh, patently refused, apparently, to return to jail. And uh, so, which also I just kind of love, I love the idea that it was like, yeah, he said he wasn't coming back. Like, did you just like ask nicely? Was that... Like, yeah, no, I'm not really into because it. Because, like, oh, no, I don't want to come to jail. No, no, nine, nine. No. <laughs> Nicht no good. Um, but apparently, um, he downright refused, and so the sheriff had to go and, like, get, like, a round up some men to come collect Oscar Beckwith. It's, it's apparently he had, like, they had to, like, go actually arrest him. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. He didn't just want to come back. It's not a game of hide and seek, guys. He escaped. Um... But when they got to Austerlitz Woods, um, they couldn't find him because apparently Beckwith had gone west. So per an article in the Berkshire Eagle from 1992 recounting this case, quote, with the law hot on his heels, Beckwith bid a hasty farewell and headed west, quickly continuing a life of lawlessness that would span the next 35 years and cover territory from Illinois to California and Oregon. During this period, he married at least two women, although he was already married, was convicted of assault and battery and served 10 years in prison for robbing the United States mail. So colorful guy. Yeah, <laughs> quite. This is, for the record, the age of the gold rush. And it's unclear whether or not Beckwith actually went panning for gold out west, but that's definitely a, how a lot of people talk about him in the lore. So it's sort of become bound up with him as well, um, which you'll see why in a second. Um so in 1877, Beckwith returns to Austerlitz. I'm going to say it like that every time. Austerlitz. Austerlitz. Uh, to reclaim 35 acres of land on Varney Mountain. Um, now, this is an area right on the border shared between New York and Massachusetts. And it's around this time that Beckwith meets Simon Vandercook. That's our next major character. Simon Vandercook from Lansingborough or Lansingburg or Lansingborough. Depends how British we want to go today. Um, New York. 
he was one of 11 children, son of Simon Vandercook and Elizabeth Snyder of Rensselaer County. He married Margaret Vreeland of Waterloo, New York. That's continuing this episode's weird homage to Napoleon. Um, so in 1882, Vandercook claimed he had found gold in Alf- uh, just outside Alford. Now, Alford is a little town in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, which is like a 13-minute-ish drive from Austerlitz, so really close to the border. Um, Vandercook had been an iron worker, and there had been several iron mines in that area of the Berkshires, um, not to mention marble and other minerals. So although we don't know how definitively that there was gold to be had, there's good reason why someone might believe that they had uncovered the potential for gold, right? Mm-hmm. Um Flip side, he apparently, according to some reports, was also part of the what what they refer to as the Rensselaer County Gold and Silver Mining Scandal of 1867. Legendary. Legendary. <laughs> um, so I'm underscoring here that everyone in the story is a crook, and also maybe you shouldn't believe Simon Vandercook, be that as it may. Um, weirdly, the Berkshires was experiencing its own weird gold rush parallel at this time with people constantly being like, I found a mine and it not being a mine. I found a mine. I found a mine. I found a new vein of gold. And then you go and it's like, actually there's, there's nothing. And then the geologists in 1903 were like, yeah, stop freaking out about this gold. It's okay. actually just like bits of gold that some glacier brought down with them when it was moving across. Idiots. God. So regardless, there is gold, there isn't gold. That's less important. Um, if there was gold at all, Vandercook apparently didn't get very much of it out because he didn't exactly start building mansions all over the place. He ended up really um, getting most of his money from selling lumber from the property. Now, who approached whom is a bit of a debate within the lore. Some say Vandercook invited Beckwith into an investment scheme with him for this mine. Others say that it was Beckwith who wanted to sell the mine outright to Vandercook. However this was going to work, they managed to get a few investors from New York. They collectively got them to put up $2,000, formed a stock company, and began selling shares. It seems that Vandercook was supposed to get some sort of valuation on the company from the state, but he never reported what it was to the stockholders. And at some point in all this, tensions arise. So Beckwith's cabin was on part of the property in question, um, on the on the Austerlitz side of the border. Um so at some point, Vandercook moves himself into the home of Harrison Calkins and his family, which is about half a mile away from Beckwith's home. And for the next five years, he spends a good time, a good chunk of time working on the Calkins farm, living there regularly. We don't have a ton of information about the relationship between business partners at this time, but various reports do indicate that Beckwith was beginning to feel swindled by whatever arrangement they had agreed to. So January 10th, 1882, Vandercook goes out, apparently, to visit Oscar Beckwith. It was a cold day, snowy, icy, and he doesn't return home that night. Hmm. So his friend, Harrison Calkins, the guy who owns the farm that he's been staying on, starts to get a little anxious about his friend. So he goes out into the night and he walks towards what he believed Vandercook had been doing, right? Going to Beckwith's cabin. So I say cabin, but most accounts describe it as a tiny little shack under a rocky outcropping. It doesn't really have furniture, it has a cot and a stove and a couple of stools and that's it. So a shack, more of a shack. Calkins approaches, and he smells something truly horrific. And he calls for Beckwith, and Beckwith comes out of the cabin, and Calkins apparently says, for God's sake, what are you burning? Mm. And Beckwith responds with, nothing but some pork rinds. And so Calkins goes on, okay, fine, great. Weirdest smelling pork rinds ever, but fuck if sure. I care. <laughs> Where's Vandercook? Has he been here? Where is he now? What's going on? He hasn't come home. Where did he go? And Beckwith just says, Vandercook had left with some guy from Green River, New York. 
and wasn't planning to return until March. And this struck Calkins as pretty odd. But I guess he figured it was late and maybe had the good sense not to confront Beckwith further alone. So he says, okay, and goes home. But the next day, Calkins uh, gathers up a group to go with him back to the cabin. Beckwith wasn't there. Neither was Beckwith's horse. You might see where that's going. Mm. And this doesn't deter the group. Adam, will you kindly read this account from the Rochester from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle written in 1888 of what Calkins and company found. Next day, a searching party was organized. The cabin was found deserted. Are <laughs> 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 they from Boston? <laughs> You're very close to Massachusetts. I don't know. Oh, good. Good. Okay, go. Next day, the searching party was organized. The cabin was found deserted. The owner had fled, but a most horrible sight presented itself. The shanty, a rude board structure, was built partly under a rock. There was no furniture in it except a stove, a bunk, and two stools. Van der Cook's partly consumed head. Oh, shit. <laughs> Never have I read something midway and got shocked. Uh, the other sounds like some pretty stuff. standard, you know, run of the mill. In this weird Boston accent that I was doing, but here we go. <clears throat> There was no furniture in it except a stove, a bunk, and two stools. Vandercook's partly consumed head, arms, and feet were in the stove. The dim light from the two small windows shone on a pile of human flesh, sawed and hacked into small pieces, and partly pickled in a barrel. The intestines and bowels were found in a basket with part of Vandercook's bloodstained clothing. Yep. The fuck? <laughs> it was really hard to read that in this bad Boston accent that I was doing, and also like read that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really grateful that we're not eating the sandwiches at this moment. Oh my god! There was point. a bit. I wasn't sure what order. Spoiler alert: We're recording the same day. Wasn't exactly <laughs> sure what order we were recording in. Um, and there was a part who was like, "Oh, I really hope it's Adams first. I hope we're not reading about cannibalism. Yep. Um, and then uh, yeah, here. Here's another version from the New York Times in 1885. A search party was organized, and upon their arriving at the shanty, Beckwith was nowhere to be found. The members of the party were almost overcome with the smell proceeding from a small box stove. The stove was opened, found to be filled with burning flesh, which on being taken out proved to be the legs, arms, and head of a full-grown man. Shreds of clothing identified by Calkins proved beyond doubt that Vandercook had been most foully murdered. But that was not all. In a barrel was found the remainder of Vandercook's body cut up neatly into s- and sliced and salted down. So hold on. So they go to this house. Mm-hmm. The search party. It's a search party. It's a, it's a, it's a hey, what happened to Vandercook party? They don't really know fully what's going on yet. But I guess there was enough of like, a, well, this is weird. And how did they track him? Well, they um, he had either told uh, Calkins before going over that, hey, I'm going to go talk to Beckwith or had just been heading in that direction. It's unclear from the reporting. But they somehow managed to, to find their way and the first place they stop is this cabin. Yeah. Because I know Beckwith lives there. They're business partners. And they're like, why is our body parts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the reading for a second. That's, you know, <laughs> I also want to review for, for a quick, 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 quick sec. Because it's Vandercook's partly consumed head. Yes. So that... I assume his his head's no longer on his body. Yeah. So what it's has a severed head? It's a severed and head, and there's a chunk of it missing because clearly someone's been gnawing at so it. So there's there's Whoa. some. <laughs> that just hit me hard. The visual just hit me. Yeah. So it's it's very unclear um, exactly 
it depends on the reporting what is said to have been eaten. There's <laughs> <laughs> one point said it was an ear that was eaten. So a lot of, of presidents said it was like the chin was eaten. Another point just said a cheek was eaten. All we know was that it was eaten. It was okay? eaten. That's Somebody was eating something. No, so you know, clearly he so he dismembers the body, obviously, right? He's cut off the head, he's cut off the arms and legs and said, I'm gonna burn that. Um Partly eaten head is is interesting. I hadn't found much more on that. There are some reports that say there was a liver in a frying pan. Oh my god! And then there's the the salted. So how many people were missing at this point? Just just Vandercook. Oh, just Vander. This Cook is was... all Vandercook's body in different forms. Um, so Beckwith's nowhere to be found. He's gone. Yeah. Gotcha. Now they I'm... say, well, we're going in the cabin anyway. They open up the stove and find Vandercook's head staring so back I at guess, them. I guess. I guess. Assuming wise, the main suspect is Beckwith. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we're pretty sure it's it's Beckwith. <laughs> I wish it was like a rant. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, pretty. They, you know, some reports say that there's a liver in a frying pan. Um, the rest of the body is cut into tiny pieces and like packed down with salt in a barrel. And so it's yeah. I heard a pickled in a barrel situation, which is so not pickled the kind and of salted or want. yeah, no, it's pretty horrific. Um, what is unclear is the degree to which Beckwith went full cannibal or whether this is some very botched attempt at just hiding a body that said some people said you know swore that they saw part of the liver eaten yeah because part of me I'm about to say maybe like you know perhaps an animal broke in and started eating but I'm like no there was a liver in a frying pan and there was uh there there was the rest of the body packed in salt Oh yeah, and the salt. That's also, that is also a clear. Thing. So was he like, if it if it was Save just it trying to later. if he was just trying to cover his tracks, it's kind of a weird way to go when you think about it, because wouldn't it be easier just to dig a really deep trench behind your house or somewhere in the woods and bury the body as opposed to saying, you know what I'll do? I'm gonna cut this up and pickle yeah, it for winter. Yeah, I'm sure there's a. This lot. feels a little bit cannibalistic. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that could have been done. Yeah, which and, is why I kind of like the cannibal. I don't like it, but no one should like cannibal. No, don't don't cannibalize each other, folks. But you know, there is something about them. Like, yeah, I, I think I think you might have been planning on eating him. Oh boy. So maybe on that note, we should take a minute to digest. And I'm gonna vomit instead. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna choose to do. But um, you can digest. I'm gonna vomit because I was just thinking about a partially eaten head. We'll be right back. <laughs> So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. If you ever look at our logo, you may notice a cute, furry, black and white creature hanging out the window. That's Ted. <laughs> When he's not hanging out inside the New York Mystery Machine, Ted is enjoying treats from BarkBox. 
BarkBox is the dog-obsessed company that's devoted to one goal, making dogs happy. It's a monthly subscription, totally customized box of themed toys and treats for your furry friends. BarkBox provides the best products, services, and content for pups and their people. Every box brings your dog more than $40 worth of toys and treats. Your first box ships immediately. Plus, BarkBox offers a 100% happy guarantee. If your pup isn't happy with their BarkBox, they'll work to make it right. So are you ready to spoil your pup with a BarkBox of their very own? If so, head over to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine. If you use our exclusive link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox valued at $35 when you sign up for multi-length plans. Okay, okay, Tedward. I'll say it again for them. Head to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine and get your pup some treats today. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. Okay, we are back. Um, I didn't vomit, but I am queasy because that do you know what it's yeah, ever ever like have a visual of something no you're talking about something but like you don't have to create that visual but some re- for some reason my brain did a lot of work that didn't need to do <laughs> and it created the visual of like a half-eaten head and that was ugh, not good for me yeah somehow i think i went into this knowing that this i mean he's called the austerlitz cannibal so i oh, knew that going in but i really enjoy being able to is not fir- reveal that for you until you were reading is it. Is it our first cannibal? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's our first cannibal. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> Might be our only cannibal, I hope. I don't know. <laughs> I, I How hope. many cannibals are there in New York? That's a worrisome statistic that you've just raised in my if mind. If you know any cannibals in New York, reach out to the York Mystery Machine. But keep them far away but from me. But keep them far, because we don't thank want to you. be cannibalized. No, not really. Don't eat me. <laughs> so if you're just tuning in, Oscar Beckwith has committed murder, murdered his business partner, and then looked like he was about to salt his body for eating later this winter. I don't appreciate that you keep assuming it's Oscar Beck. We don't know yet. Okay, sure. <laughs> that yeah, we don't we don't fully know. Someone could have broken into his 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 his, his cabin. Right. And then he could have just been like Go oh, shit. I guess I'll leave. I'll get out of here. But it's probably back. It's probably back. Okay. Like we said, Beck was nowhere to be seen. He actually manages to elude capture for three years. <laughs> there was apparently a thousand dollar bounty on him from the state of New York. And then in uh, February 1885, the New York Times was able to report this. No trace of Beckwith could be found, and it was generally supposed he hid in the woods for a time. By walking at night and hiding by day, he had managed to get far away from the scene of his crime. But J.P. Gildersleeve got on his track, traced him across the continent to California, where he had been earlier in life, then into Canada, and then east along the line of the, of the Canada Pacific Railroad. From certain information, he felt sure that his man was in the district of Parry Sound, and on the 9th, Judge McDougall of Toronto issued a warrant for his arrest. Gildersleeve, Haynor, and Perkins traced him to a house on South River, 120 miles from Gravenhurst, where they arrived last Friday. So three years after, you know, 
eating the, part the, of the, the cannibal the situation. Um, this this guy Gildersleeve um, manages to track him down, and so it seems Gildersleeve was a local farmer, according to some reports, and that he was coming basically to make um, an identification of Beckwith. But then that doesn't explain why the New York Times is treating him like he's some sort of like yeah, who is this guy? He's a farmer. Like he sounds like an investigator. Like, I was gonna say. So I you kind of some investigator you yeah. <laughs> are, you some, are you an investigator? Are you a cop? <laughs> you are you a cop? He's a cop. <laughs> he's a cop. <laughs> Hainer was a cop. He's Hainer, a cop. Hainer was a cop. He was he was a sheriff from Columbia County. Perkins is an absolute mystery to me. I don't know what's going on with him. He just shows up in this article and they're like, yeah, Perkins. Everybody knows Perkins. I am Perkins. Because <laughs> he's a farmer, right? Oh, I just realized for a minute we have a uh, in your repertoire of characters. We had a, a an old timey. He's a prospector. Prospector, but, but I think he he can sub as a farmer. It's, yeah, I miss Perkins. <laughs> I found him. <laughs> So they all travel up to where they locate him in Canada. And apparently Beckwith had been going by the name of Charles White at the time. And when they approach, he was outside of where he was staying, chopping wood. And per the article, one of them goes up to him and says, Why, how are you, Uncle Oscar? What on earth are you doing up in this out-of-the-way place? To which Beckwith is said to have responded, Who are you? I, I don't know you at all. And, and, and who are you? I, I don't know you either. So a lot of just like really over the top protesting that he doesn't know his former neighbors. <laughs> who, who, me? No. Um, and apparently they had managed to locate him because they had intercepted a letter of his. So while living as Charles White in Parry Sound, Canada, he had sent several letters to his daughter, Eunice Sparks, who was living in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. Again, just spitting distance from Austerlitz. And so apparently... He'd been asking for money or something, and uh, they intercepted this letter. Um, so they extradite Beckwith from Canada, bring him back to New York, at which point Beckwith is put on trial. Now, very frustratingly, we do not have the trial records. There was a fire in Columbia County, um, and so it's believed that the transcript went up in smoke at that time. But we do get a few bits and bobs in the newspaper reporting. So, for instance, Beckwith apparently refused to answer reporters' questions, but... When one read a paragraph from a Toronto newspaper in which Beckwith was described as having committed murder, Beckwith approached the reporter and said, quote, very solemnly, they must prove that assertion. There is a great difference between murdering a man and killing in self-defense. So he's already admitted that he's done something. Sir, 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 you you are not claiming that in order to, <laughs> to, to save yourself... You needed to not only kill this human being, but cook him and eat him. You are not. You are not. You are not Pretty saying sure that. that's what he's saying. You are not saying that, sir. That is that is crazy talk. <laughs> it is crazy talk. Oh um, a few days later, at an extradition hearing, it was reported that quote Beckwith is endeavoring to escape extradition by feigning insanity, but in a clumsy manner. And boy, oh boy, do I wish I had that transcript because he's already been very clumsy. I want to know what the the feigning insanity part looks like, but alas. Um, so yeah, Beckwith insists Vandercook had tried to poison him and then attacked him with a large piece of wood. And so Beckwith had been acting in self-defense. And in the struggle, uh, wherein Vandercook was trying to strangle Beckwith, Beckwith grabbed a butcher knife and stabbed Vandercook and then cut his throat and then put an axe in his head, which also salting and eating aside seems like excessive use of force for self-defense there's so much happening <laughs> i don't understand why and how he thinks this is like gonna help him appropriate. out appropriate 
He's like, I was, I was so worried that he was going to kill me. And so I killed him. And mm-hmm. then I was worried that his body was going to come back to life <laughs> like again. Re-atomy. So I decided to like really hack it out. And then I said, that's not enough. Mm-mm. I got to make sure that it, this body doesn't like come back together like Deadpool style and start growing yeah. again. So I'm going to eat him. And at one point he was like, you know what? I went too far. <laughs> he stopped gnawing on I the went head. Too, that's why he's half a head. He's like, you know what? I think I went too far. I went too far. This I, think I, I think this is a step too far. I should go. I should go. I should go. I'm, I'm go. ashamed of myself. I can't be here anymore. I can't eat another piece. Oh. I, I must go. You thought the- The uh, truck outside approved of that. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I will say that weirdly enough, in his second trial, yes, there's a second trial- um, Why must there be a second trial? Well, they found the cannibal remains. Well, <laughs> I guess the second. What are they confused about? <laughs> what jurors like? I don't know. I th- I think he I think he needed to eat him. <laughs> I think he needed to eat him. Like I don't understand the confusion by this jury. My sense is that at no point was the jury confused. I think his lawyer was was doggedly making appeals, and that somehow that got a second trial. Um, and at the second trial, Dr. Giles Huleth apparently testified that Van Der Cook had, in fact, questioned him constantly about poisons and the use of poisons. So who knows? Maybe maybe Van Der Cook did try to poison Beckwith at some point. Oh, God. Um, here's a small paragraph about Beckwith while he was in jail that I find kind of funny. Um, Beckwith claims the reward offered for his capture on the grounds that he gave the information to Governor Hill, which led to his capture. So he's basically saying that they intercepted the letter. And so uh, he deserves the reward money for himself by unintentionally turning himself in. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no, this guy. Oh, no, this guy. I just can't. (laughs) You have have said many a story on this show, Christina, (laughs) in the last year and some months. Mm -hmm. But I, and every time, in, in fact, I believe it was not, it was literally probably just about two weeks ago mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, <laughs> this guy has balls. I remember saying it, sitting mm-hmm. here across me being like, this guy has balls. I remember he was, the last person you spoke about was basically saying that if you believe in God, God will want yeah. you to be free. And I said, you know what? This may be the ballsiest guy yeah. I've ever heard until, until now. in two short weeks, it, it breaks the record <laughs> because this human being has the audacity <laughs> to say he kills and tries to eat this person out of self-defense, turns himself in, and then says, well, I did turn myself in. So theory, I <laughs> should. He even turn himself in. He sent a letter asking his daughter under her assumed name for money and it gets intercepted he's like yeah that that's because of me i You're turned welcome. myself in basically <laughs> so i deserve this uh, reward yeah well you'll this love this is next the sentence king of balls. you'll love this next sentence um quote the prisoner is secured in his cell by a heavy chain he has had many visitors from each of whom he exacts a fee of five cents <laughs> So he's charging for visitation. Like rates. assuming at one point people are thinking, well, we're not going to visit you anymore because we don't want to, we don't want to see you that. I bad. guess everyone wants to line up and see the Austerlitz cannibal. The Austerlitz cannibal. <laughs> oh my god. So, um, like we said, the jury is not confused about Beckwith. Um, they find him guilty of first degree murder. Beckwith is sentenced to death. Um, but he actually ends up having a bunch more trials and hearings all aimed to either exonerate him or to commute his sentence. Um, 
so in January 1887, there was a sanity hearing. And apparently during this, Beckwith showed some delusional tendencies, go figure, but insists that he was, uh, or not but, this is probably part of the delusional tendency. He does insist that he's part of a, uh, the victim of a Freemason plot. <laughs> and um, he was still found sane. And so Beckwith's attorney asked Governor David Hill to commute the sentence to life in prison rather than killing him. No such luck. In total, Beckwith had been condemned six times um, in the various hearings, and the sixth one stuck. Um, and you'll remember from the Terry Hill murder that, you know, um, Jesse Strong was uh, ex- uh, executed within like a month of being convicted, yeah, which yeah. was the norm at that time. So the fact that he got so many appeals and hearings and all this follow-up is very unusual for this period. Do you have a good lawyer? I guess that's. I guess was. he had a great lawyer. Like his lawyer was like, "We're gonna, make, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna figure this out." <laughs> so he took a little nibble. Who wouldn't take a little nibble? Um. <laughs> Just imagine like <laughs> that first meeting. All right, tell me everything. Tell me, tell me everything. Because well, uh, I was really worried about my safety, and so I killed this guy. All right, cool. So cool. Let's get at this. Um, there's more. Oh, sure. I'm sure there is. Uh, I was worried that it wasn't enough. So I just like kind of hacked it into like as many pieces as I can. All right. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little odd. I think we can still rely on it being self-defense and like a, a, a momentary lapse of judgment. We can go with that. Uh, and then I start eating him. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, can we try saying you're delusional? I mean, I'm, I mean. I don't think I'm delusional. I mean, I do believe that the Freemasons are out to get me. Got it. Okay, we got this. (laughs) We got this. (laughs) So March 1st, 1888, Beckwith dictates a final letter to his daughter, in which he said that he would be sentenced to death by a parcel of Freemason skulls and that his death would be a blow to Freemasonry and all secret societies. Here is the letter as published in the Buffalo Times on March 1st, 1888. Adam? Is he German? Am I... He's not German, though. Right? He's not, but I then feel I'm like... Do German I, I mean, I think it would be great. He's from Austerlitz, and his middle name is Fritz Allen. I'm not going to do a German accent. Here we go. <laughs> Dear daughter, a parcel of Freemason skulls have sentenced me to be hung tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. I want you to go and live with Anson Kalkins and his wife, Alda. I want you to go live with Anson Alton. I want you to go live with Anson Calkins and his wife at Alda, Illinois. I die in peace. Do not worry. I have left you $30.47 in the hands of the sheriff. There is a $1.81 in the box I brought from Canada. I do not know where it is. <laughs> super useful. It's, I hear is it the ex-sheriff Tropper. I have requested that my body be buried beside my father and my mother in Austerlitz, in the new burying ground by Keynes. I have read in the Bible that blood shall be up to the brittle rings. Don't worry for me. Italy is now in a fight and is expected that all Europe will soon be. I bid you a long farewell. Don't worry. Your loving father, Oscar F. Beckwith. I really appreciate that the wandering nature of this farewell letter. <laughs> Freemason skulls. There's also um, a world war coming. There's a world war coming. Just going to like drop that drop in, that in there. Um, it, it's kind of incredible. There's a cat on that roof. Oh. Is it's it a, a hot tin roof? No, it's just a regular roof. <laughs> on that roof. It's just a regular roof. It's not, not a hot tin roof. It looks like a, a normal like roof. It's a very cute cat. On a roof. If you're into that kind of thing, which Christian is. I am. 
chilling out on the roof. He's been there for a while. So beautiful. And you're just now telling me? God. Well, you're reading a story. I like to, like, to, you know. Mm. I don't know. Um, yeah, so, so Beckwith says before his execution to the reporters, boys, goodbye. I have no confession. I have not known one person hanged in this county in the last 75 years who was guilty. They were all hanged by public opinion. I die innocent. Vandercook was killed, but not murdered. God. Um, this guy. There is a little bit of an addendum. So uh, he's executed. Case closed. Yada, yada, yada. Clearly. Berkshire Eagle article 1997 notes that uh, Harrison Calkins testified at trial, but never revealed that he was actually a first cousin of Oscar Beckwith. So apparently there had been a bitter family dispute over Varney Mountain for ages. And so one possibility the author of this article wonders is perhaps there was bad blood between Oscar and Harrison Calkins and that Vandercook was not only swindling Beckwith of his share in the mines, but also maybe the last bit of his land. And that's how this all started. Who knows? Sure. Um, the article also ends with a disturbing bit of gallows humor. Quote, we love gallows humor. Today, the Friends of Oscar Beckwith Society, Foobs, is alive and well and living in New York State. This tongue-in-cheek organization meets several times a year in Old Chatham to poke a bit of morbid fun at the putative Austerlitz cannibal. At these gatherings, Beckwith is remembered as the Foobs dine on liver pate and sing the Ballad of Oscar Beckwith. How does it go? I wish I knew. I have to find it. I refuse to, to not, <laughs> not give it a shot. The ballad of Oscar Beckwith. Well, at least I, I was trying to find some lyrics. Mm-hmm. What's it called? The Foob? Foobs. Friends of Oscar Beckwith Society. No, they have no website. Disappointing. Yeah, I'm very um, I'm very upset at this situation at hand. Well, if anyone has access to a recording, to the lyrics, to anything about the ballad of Oscar Beckwith, or if you want to write your own lyrics. Please send them in. I'm waiting. We will sing it for you. What a great, what a little great Patreon bonus. Us singing the ballad of Oscar Beckwith. (laughs) Come then and hear of the cannibal of Oscillates. It's going to be a sensation. It's going to take over. He had no time but a craving for lots of flesh. He murdered and said that he did it in defense. But what he did will make the people wince. Oh, all right. That's little Ryan's game there. He's Oscar the <laughs> cannibal, cannibal, the cannibal, cannibal. of Austerlitz. <laughs> Oscar the cannibal, the cannibal of Austerlitz. Boom, 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 boom. Bum, bum. People are going to polka to this all across the country. <laughs> um, get a banjo. We need a banjo. We need a banjo, need a banjo for this. Um, there's one other small addendum. So according to the Hidden History of Columbia County, in 1958, Joseph Elliott, the postmaster of North Egremont, Massachusetts, went to the site of the murder to poke around to see if he could find any of this fabled gold in the area, right? Elliot went with Arthur Drum, who had visited the Beckwith cabin as a child, and they together began digging. And what they dug up were several human bones. Oh, boy. So per the Berkshire Eagle, a local physician verified that the bones were consistent with someone who had received blows of a sharp object. But of course, he couldn't say whether these were Vandercook's remains or perhaps someone else's. So we actually don't know if perhaps Beckwith had, in fact, been murdering other people. And I don't know, eating them. Oh, my gosh. So he's like. Unless it's Vandercook's remains. But I feel like. 
once they found the head and the arms and the legs, they probably would have been like, well, we'll just have a quick look around here for any. I mean, do you get to be called like the, the Hannibal of Ocelots if you only eat one person? I mean, I assume you need to eat, you have to eat a couple of them. I don't know. I don't know. What, 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 what gets you that title? I guess being the only one in Ocelots. Austerlitz. Right? It's called the Hannibal of the Cannibal of Austerlitz. Cannibal, uh, the Austerlitz Cannibal. Oh, the Austerlitz Cannibal. I mean, I think it's six and one half doesn't know the other. And one last funny thing, that because this, this might be a family trait I learned. In the course of looking for things, I did find an 1884 article. Um, so actually, while he's still on the lam, right? Beckwith is still being sought after. Um, it, it reads like this. Alexander Beckwith, who on August 10th, at Alfred, Massachusetts, stabbed his son with, in the side with a table fork, has been held for the grand jury. <laughs> she can see Adam's face. He is a brother of Oscar Beckwith, the fugitive murderer of Vandercook at Austerlitz two years ago. The prisoner was sitting at the table with his wife and six children and became angered because his meal was not ready earlier. He applied vile names to his daughter, which were resented by his son. The old man threatened the boy's life, and as the latter was about to leave the table, the father plunged the fork into his side. There are chances of the boy's recovery. Um, so oh, I just really appreciate the um, of all the tools that yeah, he used the consistency he, so I don't know maybe this is a whole family of cannibalistic tendencies he came from a family none <laughs> like no other <laughs> they eat their child their sister their brother Ooh! it's Oscar <laughs> the cannibal the cannibal of Austerlitz second verse got real good that was good <laughs> <laughs> I got my ukulele. We did the whole thing. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's well, the if thing. you if you have any ideas or thoughts of why someone would 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 be a cannibal, you know where to find us. <laughs> you if head, you too are a cannibal, you head on over to our uh, Instagram or Facebook at NY Mystery Machines or our Twitter at NY Mysteries, and you can drop us uh, a like, uh, a share, a subscribe, all that jazz. Uh, be sure to to subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, and while you're there, uh, leave us five stars, a review, some nice words. We'd love to hear it. Um, if you want to donate to the pod, you know what to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash nymysterymachine, and you can do that there. We are we are back next week. We're, we're rolling we all through November. Look at that. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that was something. That was something. That was that was uh, that was an episode. Well, I've been Adam. I've been Christina Marinelli. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Town Hall, Buffalo Ghosts. <laughs>